in three, two, one. In this rapidly changing world, relationships have never been more important. People are craving connections, not transactional exchanges. And yet many struggle to adapt to this new reality, resulting in surface-level interactions and missed opportunities. When we see people as numbers, we keep relationships superficial. We worry about being relevant rather than being real. We focus on getting in front of instead of being with people. To help us understand how we can grow our business without burning out and chasing leads is author, speaker, and high-performance coach, Grant Muller. Well, hi, Grant. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. Thank you. I am excited to be here. Now, where are we speaking to you from today? I'm in Denver, Colorado. Denver, Colorado. Lovely place. I was just there over the summertime. So beautiful. And Denver's always good. We're up in the Calgary office and Calgary and Denver are very similar. We're both up against the Rockies. And matter of fact, we share the same mountain range and that same continental divide. You bet. But I'm excited to have you today. I know you're a speaker and an author and a coach, and you've got a new book, which we're going to be talking about. And the book is called Top of Heart, How a New Approach to Business Saved My Life and Could Save Yours Too. And I had a chance to read it over the weekend. And man, I'll tell you, it'd make a great movie. I think a a miniseries with all the drama that's in there. Let's give a little background. So I know you came from Africa, you know, when you were seven years old, your family immigrated. And the story kind of begins there in your book. And then it's really about how you've overcome some issues, and which we'll talk about, and then how you became determined to succeed and break out some of the challenges that you were going through. Let's give our listeners a little start, though, and talk about your story. So give us a little bit of background. So as you said, and thanks for reading the book. Thank you very much. As you said, we moved to the US when I was seven. And in middle school, if you have an accent and you talk funny, it's cool. But in second grade, not so much. And from the very beginning, I was a little ostracized. And I was lonely as a little seven-year-old in a new country with no friends. And I, I talked funny. I just didn't belong. And I learned early on to pretend to be someone I'm not to fit in. That was the lesson that I picked up at that point in my life. And that's what I did. And as we moved into middle school years later, my friends started getting really interested in sports and girls. And again, I didn't. And so again, I didn't fit in, but I pretended to so I could fit in. And so I learned these basic lessons early on in my life. And those are the lessons that I chose to learn at least. And I was hiding from who I really was. And then I found alcohol. Yeah, you discovered vodka. Yes. And it gave me this instant opportunity to hide from who I really was. And from the moment I had my first drink, it was like I had found home. And Mm -hmm. I had found what I had been missing my entire life. It was the answer to all the questions. It's resolved all of my issues, at least initially. And so I instantly fell in love with alcohol. And by high school, I was drinking every single day. And you were diluting it. I think you were getting homeless folks to buy it for you and then diluting it and reselling it in order to pay for your fix there. I was an early entrepreneur. And yeah, I would cut the stuff with water and sell it in the little Kodak canisters in some cases as little shots. Yeah. Now that kind of started the gateway for you. And so you started drinking and you started into the substances and then you started using other substances as well. And that evolved. Give us a little bit of chronology there. Actually, I never used drugs until I was into my 20s. Really? Um, Yeah. Uh, I thought that they were atrocious. I had a huge moral issue against them, uh, ironically, and I thought they were for losers. And 
So I, I never used drugs. And I actually quit drinking for a while out of high school because I found something better than alcoholism. I found workaholism. And I enjoyed those side effects way better than the side effects I was getting from drinking too much. And in my 20s, I had a great corporate career and then was recruited to an internet startup. These guys were um, a software company in Silicon Valley, starting an internet services division. This is 1998. And I came on as their head of service, but then they didn't have any clients yet. So I became the head of sales and we developed the first beta clients and went IPO. And we went public on the stock market. We all got rich. Porsches and Ferraris started showing up in the parking lot. I had a foosball table right outside my office. This is before Google. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner was catered. The whole deal. And I remember the night we went public, sitting in my condo, overlooking the skyline of Denver, thinking, is this it? Is this it? Because I'm miserable. I'm a millionaire. I'm not 30 yet. And I hate my life. I hate my job. And I don't even know who I am. And the dude that's working at the tech company isn't even me. I'm, I'm living somebody else's life here. And it was a real crisis of identity and more. But I kept going and I started drinking again pretty heavily. And by the year 2000, it was a New Year's Eve before 2000. I was pre-gaming for a New Year's Eve party in San Francisco. We were in a hotel room. And a friend laid some cocaine out on the nightstand of this hotel room. And again, I tried it. And again, just like alcohol, it was like, wow, now this is what I've been looking for. Mm. This is the answer. And as an alcoholic, I had found the magic key because, you know, you drink too much, you pass out. But what I discovered with cocaine is I could keep drinking and drinking. And as long as I kept the levels right on each, I could keep going. And within a couple of weeks, by the time I got back to Denver, I was using cocaine. I found my own dealer. I was using it every day. Yeah, Alberto, I think he was your perfect retail connection, as you write in the book, where he sold to professors, attorneys, doctors, anyone who consumed politely. And I think you started even helping him out a little bit as well. Yeah, to the point where at one point he had to refuse to sell to me anymore because I just had a voracious appetite. And I had a hard time using, quote unquote, politely as he needed his clientele to use. And within a few months, I was fired from that job. I like to say I was retired from the job. Sure. I was 28. I was a millionaire. I didn't need the job anyway. So I just kept partying. And I had lots of friends because I always had lots of cocaine. And I was spending about $30,000 a month back then on cocaine and trips to parties and clubs and all those things that you do. One day, one of my checks bounced. And when you're spending $30,000 a month on partying, you don't sit down and balance your check register. In fact, to be honest, I don't even balance my check register to this day. But I'd use more money than I thought. So no problem. I picked up the phone and I called to exercise more shares. And they said, Mr. Mueller, there are no shares in this account. And I said, no problem. Clearly, there's a mistake. I'll hold while you figure it out. And they came back online and said, no, actually, you had to exercise the shares within a certain time of leaving the company. I had failed to do so. And I had forfeited about $1.2 million worth of stock. So I hung up the phone and thought something really has got to change in my life. It's time to really make a change. And I decided what that change was to sell the cars and to keep partying. And so within a week, the cars were gone, the cocaine was gone, the friends were gone, and I was in some pretty desperate situation. 
How did you get out of that? What was the evolution to get out of that? So you're hitting bottom, you had all kinds of issues, and you go into a lot of detail in the book. It was fascinating in the book, the story and the detail that you get, and you're very open with, and we won't cover a lot of that there because I want to get into where it's evolved to, but long and short of it, how did you evolve out of that? So the long and the short of it was, unfortunately, that was one bottom. And as addicts sometimes do, and I, I like to talk about this just briefly, this belief that somebody hits bottom and then boom, you know, everything goes great from there. They turn around. And unfortunately, some of us don't survive the bottom, as we hear about more and more these days. Or some people are like me. And I just kept finding a new bottom and a new bottom and a new bottom. So from that point, I survived using drugs then selling drugs, then living homeless on the streets for years. I kind of dragged myself along the bottom for many years. But at the end, to cut to the chase, I was hiding in a crack house from a really, really bad character who wanted to kill me. I owed him money and he was trying to find me and wanted to do some damage. And I asked for help. I reached out to my family and I asked for help. I had cut them off from my life completely so that I could keep using because they were not accepting of my self-destruction. And luckily they answered the phone and it wasn't a straightforward moment from there either. But luckily I got clean and sober with a ton of help with what I believe is some kind of divine intervention and a lot of grace. Awesome. Good for you. And thanks for being open and sharing that because everyone has different challenges that they're facing. And there's probably people listening to this episode have gone through that that would find your story inspiring. And even if you haven't gone through it, it's inspiring because we all have different challenges to overcome. And we think our challenges are tough because they're ours, but until you hear someone else's challenge, you think, man, I'm glad I didn't have that experience. Now, you were always focused, you're always good at the sales thing. So when you were in the game in selling, you always did well. So you always had a knack for that, let's just say, or an acumen for that. So once you got clean and sober, you started to work and then you started doing real estate. You got involved with, I know you were in the stock market world for a while, but involved with real estate and with coaching and started to expand. So you started to apply the things that you've learned, period, however you learn them, into your career. What led you to being top of heart. How did that concept come to be? So I was going to 12-step meetings in the evenings, and I was sharing a little bit in the meetings about who I was, but I wasn't really showing up for real. And my sponsor in the 12-step program said, look, Grant, if you want to stay clean and sober and you don't want to end up back on the streets or in prison, you're going to have to do better. You're going to have to let people know who you really are and really become a part of this community to survive. And I brushed that off and I brushed that off. And one night I almost gave up and it scared me because I knew relapse was so close. And the next day in the meeting, I decided to get real for the first time in my life and really show up as I really was. And the group embraced me and it was the beginning of my real recovery journey. While I'm having this profound experience about being who I really am, during the day, I'm learning real estate. And I'm being taught to do some things that felt so inauthentic and didn't feel like who I really was. And I'll give a quick example. Call everybody, have a conversation with them that's very superficial about what's going on in their life. But then at the end, just tag a question. Hey, by the way, who do you know that might need to buy or sell a house in the next few years? And so invalidating the entire conversation, anybody with a brain would realize you were just calling to get a referral. Yeah. And I thought, gosh, do I have to, like, now that I've finally been authentic for the first time in my life, do I now have to pretend to be someone I'm not to make it in this business? So that's top of mind, no like, and trust. And I believe that top of mind is a great foundation 
for sales because we do want people to know, like, and trust us, right? Um, well, and it starts with that head and that mindset. You have a quote in your book, which I love the quote. You say, ditch the cheap cologne and tacky pickup lines. Hunting and tracking prospects or leads or targets before dumping them into a funnel is no longer serving anyone. And a great line. And today's process is we see that with a lot of young people or if they're B2B or computer sales, and it's just get you into the funnel. It's the high pressure. It's burn and churn. And you talk about that in the book instead of really approaching it from what's in the best interest of that client. But so I really love that, you know, that top of mind. So it, it's evolved, obviously, and it's important to talk about how the cultures change because I think you have a chapter it's called the cultures and vultures and some companies are toxic. And I think today we actually have a grant. We have a dysfunctional buying process because we have a dysfunctional selling process. And I think those two go hand in hand. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions featuring Active Campaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? Active Campaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. Active Campaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose Active Campaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the Active Campaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Grant Muller. Now, prior to the pandemic, really? we sold a certain way, right? We sold a certain way, and the pandemic did change a lot of things. In your mind, how's that changed? How's that evolved? So top of mind tactics really keep us in front of rather than with people. It's all about staying relevant rather than real. And I think so much of our conversations and our relationships today are built sitting in someone's home with them. Right. Because during COVID, we were on Zoom with each other, but we saw each other's cats come across the screen. We heard the kids screaming in the background. It became so much more personal. And so really just putting that business front is just no longer going to cut it. Going through the motions and playing numbers games, it's just so see-through. And I think that at the end of the day, people want to buy from people, not businesses. Nobody cares about the Grant Muller Group at XYZ Real Estate Firm. They want to work with Grant Muller. And my clients, at least, want to work with the Grant that's a little weird and a little quirky and has a funny sense of humor. That's the Grant that they're buying when they want to work with Grant. And what's lovely about that is no one can be a better Grant than me. You don't have to compete with anyone. And so we all talk about this differentiation as salespeople. How do I differentiate myself in the marketplace? But then we kind of quiet everything down. You know, we want to fit in at the same time. And so I think it's really important that we just show up as we really are. That is the differentiation. And so I think COVID just brought that out. It cuts to the chase, if you will. 
Yeah. Once we're all communicating and connecting via video, it becomes very easy if it's just a canned presentation or if it's the phone. Right. Body language is such an important aspect of our communication, as you know. Right. Prior to that, it'd be phone calls or meetings. So I personally, when the pandemic hit, it was a disaster from a speaker point of view because everything shut down, right? So we had yeah. to go this way, but that, then it was like, oh, good. And business has now evolved in my mind to where this is the norm. I can now expand my territories, my regions, my areas, and I can connect with you because I can see how you're smiling. I can see how you're acting or behaving. You can't hide behind that. So it's important. And I think you nailed it really is being that authentic self. And people have to have confidence to trust themselves because they work hard to stay top of mind in the buyer's mind. But how is being top of heart different? So top of mind is, oh, I need a realtor. And then someone might think of three realtors. I need an insurance agent. Someone might think of three insurance agents. Want to hire a speaker, think of three speakers. Top of heart is when they think of you, they actually, they feel great when they think of you because they have a genuine, human, emotional relationship with you. Now, not everyone has to be our friend, but we can create some kind of humanity in the process. Top of heart is about bringing what's really human back to the sales process. Now, look at AI, for example. It's automating so much of the sales process. I can, with pretty good clarity, have a sense about, who the people are in my connections that are much more likely to sell in the next six to 12 months. And so much of that is built through incredible automation. So automation is starting to replace more and more of kind of those moving parts of the sales transaction. And once that AI transformation is complete, I really believe it's our ability to create real heart-centered relationships that's going to drive our success. So let the AI do the busy work. The human piece is critical. And you talk about that in your book. You talk about McKinsey Global Institute. You say that yeah. one-third of sales and or sales operation tasks can be easily automated with current technology or AI. And it's learning faster than human intelligence ever can. So there's no way to keep up with a machine that can grow through many generations of every generation's kind of gone through. So knowledge is really a commodity. So we can't use knowledge or wisdom because buyers today are just one click away from checking us out. They can look at that information. You've got to bring value to the table every time and each time in the first time so that when they meet you, one of the principles which I like to teach about, and this might fit into the coaching world, I'm sure you cover it in your world, is every day I ask, who can I be a hero to today? So who can I be a hero to today? And my goal is to try and be a hero and bring value to each of those meetings. I've had meetings all day long today. And each time I'm going, what can I do that make them happy or glad that they had that call with me? And it puts us into a framework or a mindset of contribution, or let's call it creating good karma even. And it resonates. So people get that. We're bombarded. I I was reading a stat the other day. You'd find this interesting, I'm sure, that in 10 to 15 minutes in our current existence, our current reality, we're bombarded with so much information that was more than a lifetime 100 years ago. Just in 15 minutes, billions of bits of data and information are just being thrown at us. So it's that connection. And we know that we buy first emotionally and justify with logic secondly. So we really are looking for those emotional connections. So how can we do that? What's a good way in which we can, if we know that that's important and we want to focus on that, how can we apply that in real life? How can we forge those authentic connections? So the first piece is curiosity. So allowing ourselves the space to wonder about the person that's in front of us whether that's on Zoom or in person, 
What does this person want and need? What are their fears? How can I add value for them today? How can I show up and be a hero for them today would be a great question. But when we start to get curious about other people, we get out of our own head. We get out of our own way. And if we're self-conscious about showing up as we really are, that self-consciousness kind of fades away because now we're focused on adding value for the other person in front of us. And that creates a real human connection. Um, how is this person feeling about this moment? AI can, can show you all the properties in the world. I use real estate because it's an obvious example for me. AI can show you all the properties in the world with Zillow. My clients know about the neighborhoods, the developments, everything that's happening. But when I'm standing in a house with a buyer, I'm the one that can say, we've seen four houses today, but I can feel the way you're feeling right now. There's a glisten in your eye right now that I haven't heard or seen. There's something in your voice that I haven't heard before, or the glisten in your eye I haven't seen before in any of the other properties. What's happening for you right now? Hmm. How does this feel for you right now? And whether or not that's the right house is immaterial. My recognizing and giving somebody the space to be the human being that they are in that moment, and I believe to be seen, is so powerful. One of the greatest gifts we can give another human being is just to be seen. I see you. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You're talking EQ, not IQ. It's yeah. emotional. And, and really focusing on, we focus on our intelligence and trying to look smart and set ourselves apart in the world, but it's really understanding people at an emotional level and connecting at that level. You talk about in the book that heart sets all about me to we. So it's getting intentional, curious, and aligned, which yeah. is a you know, great yes. line. And it's how can we focus on doing that? I see a lot of salespeople now, and they'll ask this question on their first question, oh, what keeps you awake at night? And yeah, yeah, yeah. you're still using that it's because they don't know what to ask. And yeah. sales trainers, and you know, I've taught that question myself. We don't teach that. We teach them scripts, talking tracks. And it's good to maybe get the door open because we've got to get the door open. One of the best lines that I ever got, best questions I ever got was from my coach. And I went through a strategic coach with Dan Sullivan. Wow. Beautiful. Yeah, he did phenomenal stuff. But back in the late 80s, I learned this question, and it was, I want you to imagine three years from today. Three years from today, looking back on today, what needs to occur for you personally or professionally to feel good about your progress? There's only three answers to the question. Number one is, I don't know, which means they're not forward-thinking or visionary. Number two, none of your business, which means they don't trust you. And number three is, they'll tell you. Once they tell you what they're looking for, it doesn't get better than that. Then your only goal is to help them close the gap between where they are today and where they want to go tomorrow. And so being curious is the key. And you can tell within minutes whether this is a a real opportunity for me or not. And obviously, if you're selling something that's transactional, it's a $50 widget, whatever the case is, then maybe it's just a little transaction. You're not going to go to that level or depth. But anything of substantive value whatever you're selling or services, whether it's home or real estate or insurance or whatever the products are, it's really important to find out what that organization, what that individual, what they're looking for. What's the goal? Why are they doing it? They're not buying the thing. They're buying what the thing does. And what's their why? I love that. And Dan Sullivan is a hero of mine. So I love that you brought him up. But I will also say, even if it is, I spent $40 on some overpriced chocolate in New York City just a couple of weeks ago on vacation, and it was delicious. So it wasn't really overpriced, but- My wife would say you could never pay too much. It was, but it it was ridiculous for just a few pieces, but the salesperson stepped out from behind the counter, hand me the pretty bag and made eye contact and said genuinely, we're just so glad you were here. And we hope that we see you next time you're in town. And 
they just recognized me as a human being in that moment. And now they have a chocolate client for life. Anytime I'm in New York City, I will stop by and buy chocolate from them. The chocolate was good, but the service and the humanity in that service was great. So I think Top Apart can show up there. It can show up in a high dollar software sales engagement that takes a year or two years as a sales cycle. And it can show up in leadership. It can show up in our families. And because really all it is, is creating real, genuine, emotional connections with other human beings. Yeah, no, it's, it's funny you use that as an example. And what we were in Canmore, Alberta, and we had a, my niece was getting married and we went into a little chocolate shop. Every time we pass one, my wife, it's pretty much mandatory. <laughs> so we pop in just because she's on a quest to find that perfect chocolate, right? With a Belgian or whatever, she sees a little Belgian sign and she goes. So we're looking and the shop was just getting started and they were trying different things. She's trying a few little samples and she's got a good trick to try a sample here, a sample there and get her fix and, and go. But the gentleman talking about his chocolate, then he started telling about how he makes it, why it's different and how it's different. And so we we ended up picking up some and we got a nice little bite to do it. He says, hey, hang on a second. He comes back out and he had some other ones with pecan and stuff. And he goes, I have these batches that I did that I was trying something that just didn't work and they just don't look pretty, but they're really good. And he goes, I love, and he gives us a whole bunch of that. Now, he, where's your card? How do we find you? And yeah. giving us the story. So the story becomes important because as we all love stories, how important is story? Because you talk about your story and then you lead into the principles that you learn from your story and your evolution. How important is story for us to maintain that alignment and authenticity? I think it's around understanding the story, our own story, just so we understand ourselves, right? So for me to say, show up as you really are, be authentic, be real, be genuine, that's easier said than done because sometimes we don't really know who we are. And so I got this incredible jump start because I was forced to figure out who I was by doing all this work so I could save my own life, right? So I could get clean and sober. So I was forced into that. Otherwise, maybe I wouldn't have gotten to the story. And I don't sit down with every client and say, oh, hi, I'm an ex-drug addict. And I'd like to help you sell this multi-million dollar home. But understanding what parts of my story might be valuable to move the sale along, frankly, or sometimes relationship, the client success along. So story might also happen when we help clients connect with maybe where they might want to go on the next step of their journey. So if sales is helping people get from one place to another, then the story often helps them understand that journey a little more quickly. They get to see themselves in that journey. No, I think you've captured it. And my friends and fellow colleagues that have been doing it a while, where we've all moved and evolved from transaction to experience and authentic experiences. And you tend to get that with maturity. When we're younger, we want the deal, the clothes, high five, so we can drive our nice cars and have fancy restaurants. And as we get older, it's not fulfilling. There's not purposeful. And when we get into a different mindset, and you talk about that with the know, like, and trust, and you talk about the mind and using our hands or our skills, yes. it's really about creating that. And it's way more enjoyable. It's way more fulfilling and way more success oriented. You don't even focus on the results anymore. You just focus on that process of creating value and you have more success and you know what to do with. And I know you've experienced that. Let's talk about your coaching. One day you decided, hey, I think I need a coach. You hired a coach. And on the first coaching session, you decided, hey, this is for me. And yeah. you found a new path that you've now incorporated and brought into your practice. Talk about that. So I had been 
quote unquote coaching agents at my brokerage for a while. They had come to me and said, how do you do this thing? And I'd been showing them the way I opened the keys to the kingdom and showed them all my little tips and tricks, et cetera. But I found that adoption wasn't what I'd hoped it to be. And when COVID happened, I thought real estate's going to be dead in its tracks for the next two years. What am I going to do next? Little did I know. And so I hired a coach. And, and like you said, I figured out in the very first session, oh, what was missing for the people I was coaching was the personal development side. They didn't have the habits in place to follow through on what I was teaching. And they hadn't done the work to show up in an authentic manner because they hadn't done the work to feel okay about who they are. And so I've fallen in love with high-performance coaching. I'm a certified high-performance coach. And that means that rather than your typical life coaching where we begin a call and nothing wrong with it, but it's a bit different and it's a little more open and aimless because the beginning of the call might be, hey, what's going on with you lately? What can we work on? What can we talk about? It's very open-ended. With high-performance coaching, we go through what a huge study in personal development has shown to be some common factors that high performers shares. And high performance as defined by you. So high performance is around, yes, performing at a high level while supporting better relationships and wellness According to your values, your system and operating system. And you talk about some of the issues. If you're driven and you're diligent, determined to succeed, but you're suffering from exhaustion, from scarcity, from dissatisfaction, you're not getting that fulfillment because no amount of money is going to fill that hole. We all know that. I had years during the recession where my biggest years, 07, 08, we had seven figure years, but I worked my tail off and it wasn't fulfilling. It was just a transaction. I'd get on the plane and I almost gave it up once because I thought if I can't connect with an audience, this isn't worth doing it. You talk about in your coaching program and on your website, you can get to it, six critical habits of high performers. Can we identify the six habits? Yeah, absolutely. But first, just really important to say that when we look for, and I just believe so strongly, when we go after the achievement, and just like you had, it's just really easy to lose the connection about why and what's so important. And I really believe that when we find the fulfillment, the achievement comes. It was kind of the opposite. And so I was chasing that millionaire by 30. Why was that important to me? And I didn't realize this then, but I figured that would mean that I was okay. Decent guy. And somehow I needed that validation. And somehow that would make, that would be a special accomplishment. And it's just, it sounds crazy looking back and thinking that way, but I know that a lot of people still think that way and they're still working on those things. And so it's just important that we give ourselves an opportunity to feel okay with who we are and where we're at. It's so hard because I've had so many rich guys tell me, just slow down and and be happy and success will come. And, And it's really hard to hear that. And I totally understand that. But I think it is important that when we find that fulfillment, it's amazing how business comes to us. When we look at the high performance pillars, they're around productivity, can't get away from it, persuasion, psychology, physiology, presence. Good one. And those high performance habits come with different names and in different ways, but those are the real pillars. And it's really about what is my mission today? Am I developing influence? Am I living my truth? Am I rested and hydrated and powerful physically? And am I here in this moment? And do I know where I'm going and why? That's really the core of it. Oh, that's powerful. And people can find more information on that on your website. And we'll have all that information in our show notes as well. You're very gracious to share your story, your information. A question I'd like to ask my guests, if you had a superpower and you're going to identify a superpower for you that's unique to you, what would you tell us your superpower is? 
to recognize love and beauty, and to really, really, really see all the love and beauty. I try every day to practice that and work on that. And I find the more I practice it, the stronger I get. But I would love for that to be a superpower because there's so much love and beauty in the world. I think it's easy to miss it. Yeah, it's easy to miss it in our environment that we see today and so much chaos. We all have a kryptonite as well. We have our superpowers. What's Grant's kryptonite? It turns out I'm highly allergic to alcohol. Break out in handcuffs, as I like to say. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I know people can go to your website and get information about your coaching business and your practice. Again, we'll have all that information on the notes. Grant, thank you so much for sharing some of your time with us and your story. Thank you, Michael. I've loved the conversation. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My executive producer is Beth Smith and director of research, Tori Smith. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting. This podcast is subject to copyright by Summit Media. Goodbye.